0: Welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside-the-wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another great day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. Well, many people don't realize that the revolutionary fantasy role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons originated right here in Lake Geneva, and joining us today is Luke Gygax, Luke's father, Gary, was the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, and Luke is carrying on his legacy in many ways. Welcome, Luke.
1: Hey, thank you, Karen. It's a real pleasure to join you today.
0: Well, we're so happy to have you here. I know, you know, the locals all know that that Dungeons & Dragons originated here and are very familiar with your family, um, but not everybody knows. I mean, Lake Geneva's famous for a lot of things, and this is a big one. But before we talk about kind of how it got started here in the basement of your dad's home, to try to explain Dungeons & Dragons to people who haven't played, I, I think I have not played, but I've done a lot of research on it. I know a lot of people who have. And to try to explain what it is seems very, very difficult because it's so complex. Can you kind of just for people who have no idea what it's about, can you kind of try to explain, you know, what Dungeons and Dragons is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I would say that there's, uh, it can be intimidating when you look at a rule book that has hundreds of pages and you're thinking, oh my gosh, do I have to memorize that? No, you don't. Essentially at its heart, it's storytelling. Um, the game is revolutionary in many ways, but but the basis of it is something central to our who we are as human beings, it, it, and, that's, and that's storytelling, and the way that Dungeons & Dragons is different, say, than reading a book, is you have agency uh, in the story. You and the person who controls the story, the game master, referee, or in Dungeons & Dragons, they call it the dungeon master, uh, that person uh, plays all the other parts in the world. Whereas you and your friends uh, form a group that go on adventures uh, in the story, and you're presented with various situations uh, from the game master, or the dungeon master, and then you say what you want to do. And the dice are there uh, as a way to see whether you succeed or fail. So you may be someone who's a fighter, and you, you're good at it—you it, um, know, wielding a sword like a knight in shining armor or something like that you would maybe roll a 20-sided die and you would need to get 15 or higher to successfully attack a creature, okay? So that, that's all the dice are, are used for, and the dungeon master tells you what that's for. Or you could play uh, a spellcaster, a wizard who can cast spells, or uh, a cleric who can commune with uh, one of the gods in the fantasy realm and bring power to bear, or a rogue, kind of like uh, Han Solo in in Star Wars, somebody who's a bit shifty, uh, but has various skills that could be uh could be useful, sneaking around, breaking into places and things like that. And you all have a part to play in the story, and you're presented with a challenge, you say what you want to do, and the game master determines whether you succeed or fail and what that means to the story. So it's essentially a shared story that you create all together. Um, and that's that's it. That's playing DD.
0: And then how many, like, what's the minimum amount of people? What's the maximum amount of people?
1: Uh, You can play with two people, the game master and one player. Although I think most commonly you'll see about five people play the game master and four players.
0: And then as far as like (laughs) your qualifications, you know, it seems like you have to just have this incredible creative mind to play. I mean, would you say anybody could play or...
1: I think so. I I don't think it's that complex. I believe that as children just about all of us have played let make believe. We've played cops and robbers or uh, you know uh, whatever it may be. You've 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 played pretend with your friends. And essentially you're doing that uh, just in a little bit more uh, structured way. And and in and D&D uh, the the invention of the role playing game genre was revo- you use the word revolutionary and you're right. Uh, what my father came up with uh, was, was very different. It's a whole new type of game. No other game, a new type, of, it's a seventh type of games. There's, you know, board games and, and uh, card games, tile games, etc. Uh, Those have existed for thousands of years. No one knows who invented those. Uh, this was the first new game. And what it did, uh, it, I think there's a couple of things that, that set it apart. There is no, Winner or loser, and I think that's the most important thing. Most games, or every other type of game, is confrontational. There is a winner and loser. So if you're playing Monopoly, two people don't win Monopoly. You know, only one person can win Monopoly, and that's by usually defeating all the other players, achieving those victory conditions. Uh, using Monopoly example, there is a board in Monopoly, and that defines where you can go. You can't go off of the board and go somewhere else. Whereas in Dungeons and Dragons, you're only limited. By your imagination uh sure there may be a map of the world but you can go anywhere within that world you can say i want to go into this castle i want to go over to this town and you just the game master will have it developed or will make it up as they go um so you're only limited by your imagination there is no boundary um the game is uh continuous and what you do in one session one game session uh has consequences to so the next uh you know, the next session. Uh, That probably doesn't sound very revolutionary to most people. Everybody understands the idea of leveling up nowadays, but that was not the case prior to Dungeons & Dragons. So the idea that you start off as a novice and as you go on these journeys and these adventures, these quests, you gain skill and experience and you become better at doing things that originated in Dungeons & Dragons. And then the very cooperative nature uh, of the game. Like I said, there's no winner and loser. In fact, you are going to succeed if you work together. Uh, if you're playing uh, as a team and you don't work together, a lot of times the the obstacles, the challenges, that whether it's monsters or a trap or whatever the case may be, will overcome you because you're not working together. You're stronger when you work as a team. And everybody has their role. So uh, that has a lot of interesting consequences as well. But those are the main differences and why Dungeons and Dragons is is so revolutionary and, and cool, but it's not so hard. If, if not there's hard. no winner. Mm-hmm.
0: um, it, I, I talked to somebody who said that years ago, they were in a game that lasted a year. <laughs> so I'm like, if there's no winner, how do you, when is it over? Like when the adventure is over or, you know, and, and how long is it typically? Sure. I, I it.
1: Uh, yeah. I would say there isn't really a, a set answer for that. You could play, what we call one shot where you just get together and play one time, usually four hour session, or you can have campaigns that last 30 or 40 years. Um, And that's really up to the group that is playing. And what defines the end is uh, for me, typically typically your, your characters have gotten, have run through a storyline. It's almost like uh, a series, like a series on TV. At some point you've kind of explored these characters and, uh, their situation as much as you can and it loses interest in continuing it right so you end it and you start a fresh one you start a new series uh, with with different characters and you go in a different part of a, or a new fantasy world or even a science fiction world or you become detectives or you you know play other games uh, that deal with horror or or something like that or a mix of uh science and uh, fantasy there's there's so many role-playing games uh, out there now, but Dungeons & Dragons is the grandfather of all of them.
0: And so let's talk about how this all started, because it is amazing kind of how it, it it's gaining <laughs> in popularity today. But th- so when did this start, where did this start, and how did it start?
1: Well, interestingly enough, it pretty much came out of a meeting at another uh, Lake Geneva uh, event, or, or event that started in Lake Geneva that has since grown and moved out, and that is the gaming convention Gen Con. My father started Gen Con in 1968, and it stood for the Geneva Convention. Uh, back then, there weren't role-playing gamers that didn't exist yet. There were war gamers, so they would reenact historical miniatures battles and play board games with little cardboard chips that would reenact World War One, World War II, the Civil War, Napoleonic scenarios. And uh, it, it was historical reenactment. Well, my dad took an interest in the medieval period, and so he started a Castles and Crusades Society and uh, really enjoyed that. And because he read so much uh, pulp fiction, science fiction, and fantasy, he thought, man, wouldn't it be neat if you could encounter like an ogre or a giant in one of these, fan- in one of these medieval scenarios? and what if you had a guy who could throw spells like merlin or something along those lines so he made up uh he made up a fantasy supplement to his chainmail rules chainmail was a miniatures a medieval miniatures uh rule set and he added a fantasy supplement well people thought that was so neat a guy in minnesota named dave Arneson uh made uh, a game where he used the fantasy supplement as a basis and took a group of his players into an underground scenario and they fought these fantastic creatures so he talked to my dad at a gen con and shared that idea with them and it was like a eureka moment and my dad set about writing the rules for dungeons and dragons and in, in, uh, in 1973 and uh, tried to get them published of course no, no, nobody uh, it was a very small industry uh, back then. Wargaming was was a niche. It's still a, a niche uh, in today, uh, but no one wanted to listen to the idea of playing make believe battles with fantasy creatures. They said, uh, "Gary, that's kid stuff. You know, we're serious historical miniatures gamers. Your idea isn't going to work." Uh, so my father uh, took nose from uh, Avalon Hill and guide on games which were kind of the two main players uh, back at that time but he didn't give up he was uh we were were very poor uh he was a shoe repairman um working out of the basement of the house in 330 center street right in lake geneva and uh he had five children i'm the youngest of his five children uh, that he had with my mom mary gygax and uh we we were my mom would garden Uh, to feed the family and she'd bake her own bread and things like that so we were desperately poor we didn't have a car Um, uh, but my dad believed in this so much that uh, his best friend from childhood Don Kay, took out a loan against his life insurance policy and they got a thousand dollars to start the company tactical studies rules and manufacture Dungeons and Dragons which came out in January of 1974. So um, he put, he bet it all on this and he believed it would sell 10,000 copies. I think it's probably sold several million. I'm not sure. Probably like 10 million.
0: Yeah. I, I read where he, like in under a decade, he grew to 600 employees, millions of copies in 50 different countries translated into 12 different languages. I mean, that is quite a success story.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and 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 my dad uh, was always a rebel. He never he never fit in very well. He was uh, he moved to Lake Shiva from Chicago when he was eight years old, uh, but he never did well in school. He got bored with school and tended to skip school, <laughs> so he dropped out of high school, uh, joined the Marine Corps briefly, uh, was medically separated from the Marine Corps, and then came back and worked uh, various jobs. Worked in insurance as an insurance underwriter for a little while. Lost that job right before I was born, and uh, decided to become a shoe repairman so he could focus on writing uh, novels and game design.
0: How old were you when you started playing, or didn't you? I mean, were you, were you right immersed in it?
1: Yeah, I don't remember. I'm sort of patient zero for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I uh, I was raised literally raised on Dungeons and Dragons. I don't have a memory of not playing Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. Uh, some of my earliest memories. Are being at the table with my dad and several of his friends, and they're playing D and D, and I got to roll the dice and play a character uh, for the first time, and that was that was very exciting. Um, Unfortunately, I was about four years old, so uh, when eight o'clock came around, you know there was something I couldn't defeat, and that was my mom and bedtime. Uh, and I would protest bitterly that I did was I was playing the game, but she made me go to bed anyway. So, uh, but yeah, I have been playing since, since my earliest memories.
0: And, and you lost your father and, uh, he was 69 years he old. He was,
1: yeah. So it was yeah. March 4th of 2008. Uh, he passed away. He had been battling, uh, some health issues. And so he was aware, uh, you know, that he had a limited amount of time. And so he was, uh. You know, he made his peace with everyone, but, but losing a parent is just, it's just very difficult um, for anyone who's faced that. Uh, to me, it was a, a life altering uh, moment. Uh, obviously, I, you know, you, you realize your mortality becomes very real to you, but it also opened my eyes in, in, in other ways. Uh, my father uh, died and that was impactful to me and my family. Uh, but what I didn't realize is how many other people he had impacted. Uh, his game was influential to people's lives Um, it was much more than simply a game or a pastime there was an outpouring of emails uh, bulletin board comments you know forum posts Uh, I was in uh, recruiting command in the army at the time and uh, people actually called my called my number and I answered obviously because that's what you do right it's your Work line, you call, you answer it. Uh, my cell phone, and it was, you know, senior officers who'd grown up playing D and D, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't think you'd answer. I just wanted to say your dad was so important to me, and you know, shaped who I was." And and that was like some of the first times, like literally the day after he he passed away. Uh, and then I, I read all these hundreds of messages, and, and it was things like, "I had learning disabilities. I was dyslexic. I I couldn't read. I was a terrible student. I was very frustrated." But I saw these people playing this game and having fun, and I saw the amazing pictures on the cover, the artwork, and it intrigued me. And I decided I'm going to figure this out. And so they picked up the book, and they had the determination to overcome uh, this the learning disability. And then they said, and now I'm a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is, right? They they it helped them overcome that. Others faced some trauma in their lives, uh, whether it was, uh, parents that maybe were alcoholic or, uh, uh sexual abuse in the, uh, of some nature of some kind. And what they would say is that Dungeons and Dragons not only helped me, uh, you know, a- escape for a time, it helped me learn how to advocate for myself, that I was powerful, that I could take charge, that I could be, uh, someone who speaks up, that I could be someone who defeats, uh, you know, powerful enemies and, you know, does good. I can overcome things. And now, you know, I was, I, I'm, I'm a functional human being, or even something as simple as I was painfully shy. And this gave me a way to interact with people that I felt safe and could do. And I practiced it. And by practicing this role, I, I was able, I learned to overcome this fear. And now I've met my wife and I have a family. We I met, I met, him or her through gaming uh so i realized uh dungeons and dragons was was a, a really fun game and uh gives a lot of enjoyment and secondly that it had some um, i don't know i guess i'd say therapeutic benefits that really uh helped people and became more than just uh something like playing poker or playing chess or something like that this became central to their life and they formed bonds, strong bonds of friendship that lasted decades with the people that they shared this game with, uh, because they learned so much about one another. And although you're overcoming fictional um, obstacles and challenges in the game, in your mind, it's not make-believe, right? Uh, When people recount stories about their game, they don't say uh, to each other, do you remember that one game where I was playing this character And we did, and they did this in the game. They say, man, do you remember when we went down into the cave and we saw that black dragon and you threw that disintegrate spell and killed it? That was awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how they refer to it. So you, it's you, you, you own, you, you are that character. And so you form a strong bond of shared hardships, kind of like a band of brothers uh, uh, analogy. And I think that is also an important aspect of, of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: That's pretty incredible that what an impact it's making, not just on on society but but on the individuals like the personal stories like that that's pretty amazing i read where your your dad was talking about once they continued a game like through the mail <laughs> he said it was you know it's meant to be played in person but and i was fascinated by that how do you do that over the mail like in the early days but sure uh, that's, yeah that's absolutely
1: so that uh, not so much dungeons and dragons that would probably have been games like board games like diplomacy. He did diplomacy by mail a lot. And if you think about it, there there wasn't cell phones. Making a, a long distance call cost a lot of money. That would be, you know, 50 cents a minute or something, which was a lot of money in the 70s, right? 60s and 70s. So what you would do is you would set up a board in your home and then everybody would write down their turns and send it into the a, a referee and the referee would would then reveal to everybody, here's where all the pieces moved. Then on your board at home, you'd make the moves, you'd look, and then you'd write what your next move was, and you'd send it in every week or something like that. So it's like a really slow uh, a game that you would play on the internet today, right? But that's what it was replicating.
0: That's devotion and patience. It is, yeah. These, well,
1: <laughs> this was very. <laughs> this was a small group of people who did this, and I'm telling you, D and D was pretty much reserve the 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 purview of nerds uh, back in that day, and now nerd. It's funny people say I'm a nerd, and they say it proudly, right? The nerds oh, have inherited sure. the earth, right? But that's the, right. Yeah, the geek the geeks haven't heard the earth. I guess is is, is the same, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm 52, so I remember uh, when playing D D was not cool when I was in high school, right? That was that was a thing that that nerds did, and uh, you know you you'd be looked at looked at kind of funny, like oh, what kind of you know oh do you like you sit in your basement all the time and, you know, you don't play sports or whatever the case may be. Uh, so it was, it had uh, a stigma to being a gamer and you had to hide, kind of hide that. And it's just amazing today, how, uh, that is absolutely the opposite and people, a lot of celebrities play and, uh, you know, everyday folks, uh, play D and D and kids, kids are raised to accept. And I think that fantasy, uh, and gaming is a completely normal part of life, um, which which was very much not the case in the late '70s and early '80s. There was something called the Satanic Panic uh, that a lot of people have forgotten about. But uh, people thought that Dungeons and Dragons was from uh, from the devil, and that uh, by playing it, you would uh, become some sort of uh, Satan worshiper, and uh, you know end up doing horrible deeds and sacrificing people and it was it's really laughable now but it was serious to people a lot of parents uh wanted to protect their children and so they would take their dnd books and throw them away Uh, i've heard Mm. that story numerous times um but that's that's a whole other topic it's pretty interesting uh it's just fun to look and and see how society has changed from you know 1974 to uh where you know 2023 49 years later um but D D is is still here and stronger than ever, which is amazing.
0: For sure. I mean, so, you know, I was a big Stranger Things fan. And obviously, right. you know, it, it, there was a big role of Dungeons and Dragons in there. And then this new movie that just came out. Like, it, I have not seen the movie. Um, all all these new things that are coming out. I, I mean, how do you feel about them? Like, are you proud of that, that that's carrying on? Or does it bother you that, like, you kind of don't have total control over it to make sure you're preserving it the way it should be.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I guess there's, uh, it's bittersweet in a sense, uh, because uh, certainly people go, Oh, your dad created uh, Dungeons and Dragons. You must be fabulously wealthy. Unfortunately, no. Uh, my father lost his company in 1985 and all of the, uh, IP belonged to the company, right? So there's a hostile stock takeover and he lost it and he spent, uh, you know, about a million dollars fighting to get his company back and lost. Mm. So um, I <laughs> I joined the army and sent myself to, to school and I have, I make zero, I make no money off of uh, Dungeons and Dragons whatsoever. Uh, so other than a feeling of pride that um, the game my father created ha- is still there uh, and is bringing happiness to so many people and also positively uh, helping out folks with uh, PTSD, learning disabilities, uh, special uh, special education uh, teachers are using it. Um, uh, some people with on the autism spectrum. Some uh, counselors use it to assist um, their their uh, kids or that they're helping out. So other than that, um, which is honestly a huge, uh, it's become a major part of my life. I take a lot of pride from this. It's a lot. I'm I'm a lot of I'm really humbled, honored. Uh, to be able to carry forward this legacy and my goal is that my father is remembered and that his his name uh, uh doesn't fade away into history because i truly believe that that he changed the world and it started right in lake geneva and i would really like to see the city embrace that and uh make some sort of central Uh, Whether it's a statue or or a monument or something, I'd like to see them embrace Gary Gygax, probably, uh, I would say arguably, the most influential person who ever uh, came from Lake Geneva. Certainly Dungeons and Dragons is the most influential thing that uh, has, has come from Lake Geneva.
0: Absolutely. And I I know one way that you're honoring him is um, Gary Khan, which is held right here in Lake Geneva. Can you explain what that is about when it is and how many come and where they come from?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Gary Khan came out of a very sad event. And that was my father's funeral. Uh, So like I said, I was I was shell shocked, as I think almost anybody is when they lose a parent. And I live in California. So I, I came back to Lake Geneva and uh i talked i told spoke earlier about the number of people who were posting comments or uh, you know emailing us saying hey your fa- you don't know me i never met your father however it feels like i lost my father because he was so important to me in my development as a teen or he got you know this game that he created got me through this i would read those books and i thought this is a, such a cool guy in Lake Geneva this magical place where it comes from. I, and they said, I'm going to, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to Lake Geneva to pay, you know, an homage to Gary. And so I said, what are we going to do? We have a small private funeral. That's not really an appropriate place to host strangers. Right. Um. So we decided to rent the American Legion hall, which was a, a site, That I remember of earlier conventions, including uh, early Gen Cons like Gen Con two and three used the American Legion Hall, as well as other uh, places in Lake Geneva. And so we just basically had uh, a memorial gathering there after the funeral where we played the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, the Futurama episode my dad was on. Uh, We brought uh, food and drink uh, to pet to share. Uh, We set up a podium and a microphone in case anyone wanted to tell a story about my dad and share it with the group and everyone played games and they played all sorts of games, whether it was, you know, my dad loved railroads. So he liked railroad games and trains, that sort of stuff. And of course, Dungeons and Dragons. And we all had fun and talked and remembered my dad by doing something that was, that he loved so much in life. And that's gaming. Uh, and people had so much fun doing it. Someone recommended, Hey Luke, you should do this again uh, next year, and and so I did. And uh, uh my friend Jolly Blackburn uh, suggested we call it GaryCon. And Jolly's the creator of um, a comic book called Nights at the Dinner Table, and they have a convention there called GaryCon, which is sort of their their Gen Con, uh, the big the big gaming convention in their fictional cartoon world. So, uh, I called it GaryCon, and I just threw a game day. Uh, I didn't. It was free. I didn't charge any money. Uh, I just figured I would spend. You know, a couple thousand dollars, and, and invite people to come, uh, and and have fun. Well, and they did. About one hundred and seventy-five people showed up, and they said, "Well, you can't just pay for this." So people started donating money to me, and they, you know, some people stopped at five o'clock and held an impromptu auction and sold various things, whether they drew some art or sold an old book. So I ended up with like four hundred more dollars than I spent uh, on the show. And I, or on the gathering, and so I didn't want to put that in my pockets, so I started a company, and then uh, it grew from there, and the next year was, I moved to the, the I guess it was called the Ridge back then, and we had 240 people and 400, 500. We got too big for that place, we ended up at the Grand Geneva, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting, because that's where Gen Con 10 was, so it's kind of following those footsteps. Uh, we've been there since 2016, and we had about Twelve hundred people come to that show, and we just finished uh, our show. It's every year in March, as a you know memorial to my father. And uh, this year we had three thousand people who attended, which is our the most ever. Uh, and we had people from all over the world: uh, Spain, Ireland. Uh, I think there was somebody from Australia. Uh, we've had people from Thailand who who come, uh, China, uh, certainly plenty from Canada uh as well uh, but all over the united states so uh it's it's i guess it's for people who <laughs> what what i think is funny is it's really a, a journey up that you have to plan it's not easy to get to lake geneva in march you know, you, from from somewhere outside of driving distance right you have to fly into milwaukee or o'hare Which is never fun, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one likes flying into a hair. I don't. No. Right, and then and then you have to rent a car and drive up to Lake Geneva, Uh, and there could be all sorts of different weather and that sort of thing. So the people who come to Garycon are there because they really want to be there. Uh, The sense of camaraderie is is palpable. Um, It's a it's a family reunion. I've heard people tell me, "This is my family reunion." but not with my biological family. It's with the family I chose, my gaming family. And so when you walk in, it feels like you're home. It feels like you're with you know your people. Everybody wants to be there. They're looking to have a good time. They're appreciating not only the roots of uh, the RPG industry, there's also all the new games that are there. And we have a huge vendor hall now uh, with about 60 different companies that are represented. So it's huge huge for me. I mean, not not huge for you know, giant uh, Las Vegas Expos or something like that. But uh, it, it, we fill up the entire uh, the entire uh, Grand Geneva campus, all their uh, spaces and hotels. And we fill up the surrounding hotels as well, the comfort suites and the Fairfield Inn and, and several others uh, with people who are coming from far away uh, to make this pilgrimage to Lake Geneva uh, to uh, kind of be in this sacred ground and celebrate the life of, uh, Gary Gygax, the you know the founder of role playing games.
0: Now, all of us uh, who live locally, we always know when it's coming, when you're all here. And then when you all leave, like it's exciting energy and it's all over, you know, the papers and social media and obviously you just see everybody around. So it, it's an exciting thing, you know, even if you're just kind of on the outskirts and, of it and not attending it. But what a nice, incredible honor every year for for your dad. And I, I know you you have something a, a kickstarter that you're launching just just recently correct
1: absolutely yeah on tuesday um i uh kicked off a <laughs> I kicked off a kickstarter i launched a kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign uh for a dungeons and dragons scenario uh that i wrote called the fate of shantufi so uh, i retired from the army last year and decided i would uh, not only run GaryCon but uh all on my dad's footsteps to a certain a certain extent by doing some creative work so i formed a company called gax works uh, and that's g-a-x-x-w-o-r-x um i don't know i just like a lot of x's in there i guess it sounds cool <laughs> um but uh, uh so i started publishing a few a few things through there and this is our latest work we have a game coming out uh, later this year called strange and grim which will kind of be a diesel punk uh role-playing game as well uh but it's very exciting. So if you wanna if you wanna check out my Kickstarter, uh, you can just search fe- "fetish and toofy" Kickstarter, and I can I'll give you the spelling, all that stuff, and so you can put it in your in, in the caption there.
0: For sure, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: How has it changed the game and the games changed over the years to, you know, from where it began to where it is now. And and is that all a good thing in your opinion, or is some of it a positive changes, some of it not so much? How do you feel about how it's evolved over the the last couple of decades?
1: It's definitely evolved from the 1970s to, uh, you know, the 2020s. And that's natural. I would think if something didn't evolve, that'd be crazy. This is a social game and society changes. I don't think that there is a right way to play Dungeons and Dragons. It is a game. It is a social game. It's about being with you and, and, and your friends and having fun. So if you want to play play and highlight certain aspects of Dungeons and Dragons in your campaign with your friends and everybody loves that, I think you're winning. That's that's awesome. Uh, So I don't have any any skin in this game, or any of the edition wars or any of that sort of stuff. So the way that you can maximize your fun is what I think is best. Now, to answer your question, how it's changed, I think it came out of a wargaming tradition. So uh, it was a bit more, um, I would say adverse, I don't know if adversarial is the right way to, to say it, but it was more deadly, right? It wasn't so role-playing heavy, it was combat heavy. I think the challenges were more about how you overcome obstacles placed in front of you and it was a lot of underground exploration and these dungeon mazes that were there some wizard created a maze and it's populated it with you know uh, monsters that you'd have to go through and then there'd be treasure hidden in there uh, so part of that was figuring out the puzzle of the map you had to draw the map and figure out maybe where things were and find your way in and out uh, successfully right and do a lot of combat then that changed and they added more skills uh, into the game, so that you didn't everything wasn't just talking it through, or or hitting it with a sword, or using a spell. You you got to, you know, use some skill sets. Oh, I'm going to try to make this thing, or I'm going to try to heal somebody, you know, their wound without using magic, or whatever the case was, or make an athletics check to jump over something and and, and avoid a, a conflict or whatever that may be. However, you use those skills, and people decided they wanted to do more talking and storyline development. Um, I suppose the origins of that were in uh, my dad started a, a famous group of were called modules or adventure scenarios uh, against the giants and then uh, the drow. And that was the first time where there was really a storyline. It wasn't just a random uh, maze with monsters in it. There was a reason you were sent by the Duke or something like that to go investigate why are these hill giants suddenly raiding the area? Can you go like figure out what's going on and stop them? And so you go and you find out, oh, hey, they're in league with the frost giants. And you go to the frost giants; they're in league with the fire giants. Well, that's weird. Let's go see what's going on. Let's pull this thread out. And it turns it, it turns out that there is this new uh, you know new species of dark elves who live deep under the ground. They've been bashed deep under the ground, and they are manipulating the surface dwellers to create problems, right? So you have to go descend down into the depths of the earth and defeat these evil, uh, worshipers of the, uh, Loth, the, uh, demon queen of spiders, which is creepy, right? Everybody hates spiders anyway. Uh, and, and do that. So people had so much fun with that storyline that that started introducing more of that, more of that. And you have, uh, more dialogue and, Figuring out clues and puzzles, as opposed to simply uh, doing, uh, you know, overcoming uh, mechanical traps uh, and uh, fighting creatures to, you know, ach- you know, overcome or achieve the success. So, so in that way, I think it's become more role-playing heavy versus more combat heavy, and that's what I see. And it's also less deadly. In the old times, if you made a mistake or you just had a bad die roll, uh, your character that you'd spent Perhaps, you know, a couple of years developing could be gone like, oh, your character's dead. Sorry. Nope. They were disintegrated. There's no way to bring them back. There's no way to resurrect them. Uh, now it's very hard to uh, they make it much harder to uh, destroy it, you know, uh, kill a character uh, because I think the focus is more on um, uh, high adventure and, uh, you know, big high adventure and powerful characters as opposed to being a little bit more gritty and real. So that's my assessment.
0: And so, so what if somebody's listening to this and has never played it, and after listening to you, they want in, they want yeah. to start playing? Like, how, how, how do they know where to go and how to start?
1: Well, if you're in Lake Geneva, there's a store called Lake Geneva Games, uh, and you can go down there, and you can probably talk to somebody who'd be willing to to show you uh, how to play. Uh, there's also uh, organized play. Um, for Dungeons and Dragons through Wizards, uh, through Wizards of the Coast, the people who own uh, Dungeons and Dragons now. Uh, so, I think they will have various. Uh, honestly, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably look look at Wizards of the Coast and, and find that. But honestly, the best way to do it is to find uh, somebody who plays, and by doing that, by going to your local hobby shop, finding where that is, and just asking somebody, hey, can you show me how to play? Um, if you can't do that, there's nothing near you. You can get on YouTube and you can look at various live plays. Probably the biggest one is called Critical Role. Really amazing group of people, very, very good, good, good folks uh, who are voice actors. So they're all professional voice actors. So they have a great background in uh, theater, right? And, and so they make a very colorful game. And it can be a little daunting for somebody who's new, but if you watch them, you'll get the idea of how. Uh, game of dungeons and dragons works and you can uh, pick up a starter you know, the starter rule set read through those get a couple friends and try a starter a starter adventure there is no right or wrong way to do it as long as you're having fun it's okay and if you make a mistake just roll with it so that that's what i'd say just do it don't wait it doesn't have to be perfect you're going to learn as you go and have fun
0: Well, perfect way to end. Although I could talk to you for hours, I mean, you know, when I started reading more and more, I just went down this rabbit hole of like, there's, there's so much information and so much history and so much current stuff out there. It's really fascinating. And um, we'll put up as much information, you know, as possible on the website. And I cannot thank you, Luke, enough for taking the time to do this today. And also thank you for your service.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. It's uh, something I'm passionate about and I love to share it with other people.
0: Well, thank you. And as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva and the wonderful people who helped make it so special like Luke and of course his father, Gary. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now.